Welcome to Cross-Border Tax Talks, where we discuss the latest trends in international taxation, from U.S. tax reform to the OECD's latest developments. I'm Doug McConey, PwC's U.S. International Tax Services leader. You can find me on Twitter at XBorderTax. On this week's episode of Cross-Border Tax Talks, I'm excited to be joined by Mazar Wani. Mazar is a tax partner in PwC's San Francisco office and serves as PwC's U.S. fintech leader. Mazar was one of the key contributors and editors to PwC's first annual global crypto tax report in 2020. We'll include a link to the report in the show notes. Mazar, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Doug. Great to be with you. Very excited about the conversation. All right. Well, before we begin, Mazar, I'd like to ask my guest kind of a, a, a non-technical related question. So we're it's here October 2020. It's been seven months that we have been in quarantine since I've stepped either on a plane or inside a office. Where have you been spending the, the quarantine? And what is the first place that you want to visit when this whole COVID-19 thing is behind us? Well, it's a great question. I've been uh, stuck in San Francisco in my home. I've been following the rules and uh, can't wait to get out. I think the first place is going to be somewhere on the beach. I can't, I can't wait to be out and, you know, feel like normal again. And, and I really miss being in the office, to be honest with you. It sounds like cliche, but uh, being in the office is uh, energizing and it gives you a lot of uh, interaction with people. So I'm looking forward to that. To totally agree. I, I absolutely miss the the interaction with with my with my colleagues and and clients as well, and some of the personal interaction, and certainly have some of the virtual fatigue at this point. I will tell you the thing that I'm the the place that I'm the most excited to visit post quarantine is is Bush Stadium to see my St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, I really at least we ended up with some baseball this year, but I'm a season ticket holder. I travel a lot. I don't get to go to anywhere near the number of games that I'd prefer, but I'm very much looking forward hopefully in the spring or the summer to be able to to watch my St. Louis Cardinals again. So uh, spring seems like a long time away at this point. So well let's dive into the material. About a year ago I had Rebecca Lee on the podcast. She's one of our international tax partners in our Washington National Tax Services office and we discussed the framework with respect to how the U.S. taxes digital assets. And Frankly, Bazar, it was really enlightening for me as somebody who just hasn't really spent much time during my career in that space and particularly focused on the concept of crypto as, as being taxed like a piece of property as opposed to, you know, a financial currency like the the dollar that that I'm used to dealing with and or even, you know, other other foreign currencies. So in October of 2020, PwC issued, as I mentioned, its first annual global crypto tax report. Before we dive into that, and you were one of the editors and, and principal authors, let's just start by framing what are digital assets? Why is this important to, to, to global business um, in, in general? Yeah, no, Doug, I mean, this is um, this is really emerging area and it started, everybody talks about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency as sort of the starting point for digital asset. but. Over the last few years, you're starting to see a lot more expansion in the digital asset space. Um, so now, beside the cryptocurrency, which has obviously been, um, you know, 
emerging asset class, 350 plus billion of market cap, et cetera. There are new assets being sort of used in the crypto space, leveraging the blockchain technology, utility tokens, security token, that they're being used in a broader range in financial services and in any industry too. So um, it's almost a new way of um, transacting internally and externally with, with customers and with an organization. So it's a broad spectrum of asset and it is really emerging new asset class that we're, we're paying attention to. And not only us as you know uh, advisors, um, regulators, uh, the taxing authorities, and, and our clients from all spectrum, from all industries, whether it's technology companies, traditional financial services companies, and obviously the emerging uh, startup companies. Yeah, and I think one of the examples of, of that was the, the OECD, so the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. We've spent a lot of time on cross-border tax talks talking about BEPS 1.0 as well as BEPS 2.0 and Pillar 1 and, and Pillar 2. But um, on October 5th of 2020, the OECD issued a report taxing virtual currencies. So tell us a little bit uh, about, about that report. And then there is the, the PwC report as well. And so can you, you share a, a little bit just from a big picture perspective, you know, the, the PwC report and, and the OECD and, and maybe compare those a bit? Sure, sure. And um, it's a great report and it's testament to the attention that crypto and, and, and digital asset, uh, the attention it's getting right now. Um, they outline and they're focused primarily on cryptocurrencies. As I said, it's starting with the Bitcoin in 2009 and expanding into other areas. I think their report is focused primarily on cryptocurrencies. Uh, they've done a really nice job highlighting the life cycle of a crypto uh, currencies from the date it's been, you know, issue to the date to exchange to the trading to various aspects of the life cycle and they covered various areas of taxation around direct tax and indirect tax property tax inheritance tax a lot of different areas and and the the report is really great in the sense that it shows a lot of divergence between countries even within the eu and outside of the eu within oecd countries they surveyed 50 countries um and and the input from these countries are just amazing when you read the report uh it's all over the place inconsistencies and simplified ways to taxing this complicated new innovative assets um so that's 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 the oecd report our report which we issued before the oecd and we collaborated with the oecd on our report as well uh so thanks to the oecd for for their contribution they we we surveyed 30 countries um only instead of 50 those are the primary countries that we found to be really relevant in the space or issued some sort of guidance in the space um we our report was broader in the sense that we focus on uh not just uh, cryptocurrencies we looked at uh digital asset more broadly as i said in the um utility tokens or security tokens and various type of innovative products that's being introduced in the market um, but, you know, at the end, the conclusions or the recommendations or the uh, observation from both reports are extremely similar, um, which is not surprising, but it highlights the need for more um, framework and more uh, regulatory sort of um, uh, attention to the space. 
so so help me out with that as somebody who doesn't is not fluent in in the language you had mentioned that the OECD was very focused on crypto and and first of all and as a, as an aside i think it's very interesting that the OECD is trying to appear to get ahead of this right like uh, we know there's been a big challenge that the OECD has had just keeping up with the taxation of digital companies right and i feel like the OECD or at least many would acknowledge that you know the the policymakers fell a little behind the pace of business which is just natural right and and there does to be a, appear to be a concerted effort from the the OECD to to try to get at least somewhat uh, ahead of this D help me understand the difference between you had mentioned kind of crypto and understand bitcoin and 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 that which is just one example of the cryptocurrencies versus the other digital assets like help me unpack that a little bit please yeah and it, look i mean when you're talking about digital economy digital asset falls within that category and that's why the oecd is focused on it and they tie it to the whole project around peps and the pillar one and pillar two and, and their report was issued in conjunction with that if you take a step back if you think about money and the evolution of money um you know how it started and where it is there is the next generation of money um, and this is what we're talking about, the, the new way of payments, the new way of transacting. Um, and digital assets solve all of that. Digital asset can, if it's properly structured, it's properly regulated, and if it's properly monitored, um, could be the new evolution of money. Um, now, I know from a taxation perspective, we still, most countries, and we can talk about that, our finding in a report that they view it as property, but it is, you have to think of it as the new natural extension of payment. So every time you talk about the payment industry and what's going on in the payment industry, you have to talk about blockchain, you have to talk about digital asset because they are so connected and digital asset is taking that industry into the new, um, the new generation. And then as we as we look at the, the the think about the OECD report, did they make any specific recommendations, for example? And we'll get to the property issue, um, but or was it? It, it seemed to be, uh, you know, again as as a non expert, more kind of highlighting what some of those issues were. Again, more specifically focused on the cryptocurrencies than some of the other things that were mentioned in the PwC report. Yeah, I, I think they took a very um... I would say a conservative line in terms of not giving recommendation, more observation um, and suggestions to, to taxing authorities. I think uh, they made it very clear in their, you know, at the end of the report um, that there is a lot of lack of guidance. There is a lot of inconsistencies. And the other area that they highlighted, which we completely agree with, this, this, this industry is evolving in a very rapid pace. And by the time a government issues um, a guidance, um, it becomes obsolete because the technology have moved into the new generation and the new um, sort of um, framework and environment, and it's changing rapidly. So keeping up with the with the technology itself from a you know guidance perspective is very challenging. So I think instead of them saying you know a recommendation, I think the suggestion was. Uh, to make the policy to be a little bit broad, um, to keep so it's it's not interpreted very narrowly because the, the, the technology is changing rapidly, and um, that allows basically the new emerging use cases in the space to be captured, and the policy 
when the guidance is issued has to be some sort of consistency and link to a broader policy that the government is issuing because that seems to be there's there's a disconnect when you look at the guidance issued from various countries it's not really well aligned with the broader tax policy for that government yeah and i mean i appreciate that it is a challenge for policymakers and taxing authorities around the the world that you know this is just one of many just really really dynamic areas and so it, it almost begs for principle type rules that can exactly. deal with these emerging technologies and and we know as tax accountants and tax lawyers n none of us are really overly comfortable and don't really live in a world of principle type rules right we tend to right. have very specific rules on on how things are are treated which means to your point it doesn't surprise me that stuff gets is antiquated by the time it, it, it gets out and if we think about the u.s legislative process how long that takes and even the regulatory process as well i can imagine being a, a real challenge for 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 policymakers and the other competing area that we we you know it takes into account and it's not really highlighted in, in either reports you've got other regulatory bodies also issuing guidance in a rapid speed so the AICPA just issued guidance on on digital assets like early very recently um, the regulators are issuing a lot of guidance in this space the OEC OCC the SEC, a lot of the government bodies are focused in this space, especially when it comes to new emerging technologies like stablecoins and the CBDCs and, and other emerging areas. So you, you almost have to take a step back and see how all these government bodies are interacting and framing a consistent policy to govern and make sure that these, these new technologies are being used properly. That, that is a great point. I, I, I tend to be so singularly focused on direct taxes, uh, just given my background that I sometimes need to be reminded of like even indirect taxes, which we'll talk about, and then the accounting issues and then regulatory issues. It, it, it's a fair point. It's not just obviously the, the tax policy makers. Um, it, it is a whole combination of that, that group. It, it, it's a great point. So one of the things that I found very interesting about, about the survey that, that, that you helped lead was of the 30 countries back in 2015, which is eternity in this space. Uh, it's actually eternity, I think, in today's day and age in any space. Holy cow, March seems like, you know, <laughs> ages ago when the quarantine started. Um, but you, you had, you had noted in the, in the report that, of the 30 countries that you had surveyed, seven had guidance in 2015. And fast forward five years in 2020, 23 countries had, had rules. Who's leading the way in terms of guidance? And what, if anything, does it mean to those jurisdictions? Because I did find the, the list of jurisdictions pretty interesting um, with respect yeah. to who's trying to, to take the lead on this. No, it's a great question. And, you know, trying not to isolate certain countries here. I think um, in the later years, you see more um, smaller jurisdictions are issuing guidance in this space. They're very interested in attracting um, these companies into their jurisdictions. They're competing for business and they find the, the digital asset as a new emerging class and solution for a lot of the historic problem in the financial services industry to be the new wave, right? So I think they're issuing guidance because they want to be friendly to, to, to this new asset class. So that's one. 
Um, and then the, the later, when we did the ranking of the countries, and just to be fair, we, we, we didn't rank the countries in terms of the sophistication of their guidance. We issued um, our ranking based on a number of criteria, whether they touched or issued guidance on the various aspects of the cryptocurrency and the digital asset more broadly. And that's why you see some of the countries that, you know, you'll be kind of surprised to see them on the list. Um, but they, but some of these countries in the very top, like Malta and, and others, they have been the sort of de facto crypto players. And a lot of companies are, you know, when they think about expanding internationally or setting up a company, they, they think about these jurisdictions because they are friendly to them. Which makes sense, right? And and we see that in, in like the corporate law space is a great example of, well, why do I get quite, this is a common question from family, right? Like, why is everybody, why are all big US multinationals incorporated in Delaware? And no, it's it's not tax reasons. It's because they have good infrastructure of laws and, you know, century plus of judicial precedent and certainty, right? Like what things that businesses and individuals want are as much certainty as possible. We talk a lot about that in the cross-border tax talks. And so those jurisdictions that have the most complex and, and developed rules, of course, presumably companies, individuals are going to flock to those countries so that they have have certainty. And I did find the 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 list pretty pretty enlightening. And I think one of the things that it says and we, we've talked about this in the context of, of other, you know, particularly pillar one and pillar two. One of the things it does tell me is that tax competition is alive and well, right? We talk about right. pillar one and pillar two in reallocating profits, and we talk about minimum taxes and the consolidated uh, consolidated tax base at some point. But but the fact is, countries are still competing for for capital and and for investment dollars. And I, I do find it interesting that you know some of the the relatively smaller countries by population, let's say, are are high on the list of just the the level of sophistication that they have in this area. And it doesn't surprise me to your point that they are attracting uh, additional inbound investment in those territories, which seems to be policy if that's if that's what the goal is. No, absolutely, absolutely, and there is a reason why there is something called Crypto Valley in Switzerland, right? So they're replicating the Silicon Valley of uh, of you know the Bay Area. Let's shift a little to um, you know how how regulators and what we're uh, are 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 treating you know these assets and the the taxation of these assets. What are some of the trends that you're seeing across the globe um, in drafting rules to deal with this new paradigm? And, and let's start with gains and losses, because I also want to talk about staking and, and DeFi. Um, but before we get there, kind of baby steps for me. And again, we spent a bunch of time with Rebecca Lee talking about the U.S. tax characterization of this as property. But what are you seeing with respect to, to trends ac across the globe and outside the U.S.? Yeah, and, and tying this back to the conversation you had with Rebecca, I mean, the first the first point of discussion here, it's the characterization of these digital assets, right? And again, from a cryptocurrency perspective, broadly speaking, it seems like most countries are treating these as property. When you are treating this as property, then you're going to recognize you know, losses upon dispositions and upon receiving the cryptocurrency in the mining spaces, whatnot. Um, but there are divergence, like there are different countries viewing these um, elements of taxation differently. And, you know, disposal for fiat or real currency is treated differently than disposal for another cryptocurrency or disposal for to buy in goods and services. 
broadly speaking, I think everybody is trying to take the position. It is property. Other countries have taken some minority of countries, I would say, taken position that it's a commodity. Um, it's some sort of financial asset of its own. Italy has taken a completely different approach. They view it as real currency, as a true currency or akin to currency. So um, they escape basically that whole capital gain taxation as a result of that characterization. So it is all over the place. I think countries are um, trying to, and I think this is what the OECD report is trying to highlight, it's like some, some, some sort of consistency on taxation will be helpful in this in the space because this, this type of asset is global and it's international. It's easily movable between countries and, and um, people. So um, having this different taxing policies between countries create a, a really, really problem from an adoption perspective. So in order for this asset to be mainstream, you want to make it as user friendly as possible to normal people. Um, I think there is a separate taxation happening for businesses and, and traders that they are in a real business of making money out of crypto. Um, and that is very consistently sort of applying uh, true taxation and you, you pay, you know, normal corporate tax rate, etc. I think it's for the individuals that they're using the crypto for their own capacity, for personal capacity, or even minor trading, um, you know, the, the taxation element with, with some of these policies is a little bit harsh and pre prevents sort of adoption in a mass scale. Right. And and just to remind folks that the the concept of, of, of this being property, right, means that anytime you're, I say anytime, if you're making an exchange of that property, then in most countries that are going to treat it as property, that becomes a taxable event, right? So then the exactly. question is, well, what is your gain in that respective asset? How do you determine what your tax basis is, to use a, a, a U.S. term? And so one can imagine a, a company that would typically use this as as a currency, right? Having to treat it as property and understanding what the basis is and knowing that every time you transact, you will have a realization event, again, to use another U.S. tax term, uh, an event yep. that creates taxation, obviously can creates complexities. And then also, um, I appreciate from a uh, a compliance perspective, really understanding what the the history and the basis related to that is is can be can be challenging for taxpayers, particularly multinational taxpayers. I I, I think your point is well taken. Like we're not really focused on. I don't know if I can call them the day traders, right? That's kind of a stock concept. I'm not sure if we refer to the crypto folks in that in that same context, but obviously you can understand the need to be able to to tax those individuals, but it's the businesses that want to use that to your point for services or to buy other property where you can imagine I can imagine it being much more challenging. Yeah, no, no, exactly. And and in certain countries you can use, you know, cryptocurrency to buy and sell goods, right? So you know, if you think about every time you're trying to buy a pizza or a cup of coffee, you have to calculate the gain or loss. Just imagine the complexity and, and the tracking and the reporting associated with that. So again, back to my comment about adoption, it, it really creates some sort of um, problem for a mass adoption with, with treating it as just pure property in all contexts, right? I, I can totally see the taxation with a business sort of uh, framework, but when it comes to individuals, some sort of relief will be um, will be helpful. And back to my comment earlier about you know the, the different exchanges. So when countries are viewing you know exchange between crypto to crypto, like for example France, they don't tax you on that, but they tax you when you do an exchange between crypto and fiat. 
So different countries have taken different approach, even within the exchange itself of something else. Interesting. And just like any time we have different or inconsistencies in the law like that, it just means more headaches or just more, more complexity for those taxpayers to try to comply with those rules, right? And we see that a lot in the U.S. tax system, not necessarily related to crypto. It's just the more different elements that you you put into taxing effectively the same thing, it's just it's more difficult for, for taxpayers to comply. So a couple other things that I wanted to to talk about are terms that don't mean much to me, but help me understand uh, staking, which I think is is the new mining, um, which has yeah. nothing to do with with minerals and taking things out of the ground. It's mining and yeah. and then DeFi. Let let's start with with staking. What what is that, and what what trends are we seeing from a tax perspective around the globe with respect to to staking? Yeah, I mean, so when the major cryptocurrency uh, started, like Bitcoin and Ethereum, the 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 way to validate transaction on a blockchain is through the you know through uh, proof of work, um, and that's what the miners do. And every time they do the mining, they earn basically cryptocurrency, and there's a taxation associated with that depending on the jurisdiction. Some some countries don't tax you immediately on the mining. Uh, they tax you when actually you dispose of the asset. So, um, so that's mining, and it's evolved now into the proof of staking. And proof of staking is a new way to validate the transaction on the blockchain, and it requires the I'm going to call them the miner or the stakers here to actually use their own currency. So you have to be part of the ecosystem, and you have to have your own sort of ownership of the tokens that being um, validated. So there's something at stake. That's what the name is coming from. There's something that hmm. the stakers are having into the platform. And it's viewed differently from a, if you think about it from a taxation policy, it, it's a little bit different because now there is a little bit more connection to what's happening because you're putting your own assets and you're earning the staking token or it could be fee or it could be a combination. Um, when you earn that, is that really truly an ordinary income or is it return on capital of some sort, right? So that's where the distinction in taxation policy come into play and whether that income is ordinary versus capital in nature. And you see countries like in Europe, they have different approach to this. All right, well, an another one then is DeFi. So decentralized yeah. finance. Well, what does that mean and, and how are countries approaching the taxation of that? So this is, and it's been highlighted in OECD report and our report as well. I think this is, 2020 is probably gonna be called the year of DeFi uh, for many reasons. It's, it's starting to explode. Um, if you think about it, Doug, it's the new financial services. So instead of having, going to a bank and going to financial institution to do a lending transaction, to do an exchange, these DeFi application is basically replacing and eliminating the intermediaries. So leveraging the blockchain and the smart contracts and the digital asset to basically eliminate the entire sort of financial services function and having it all on the blockchain and being sort of handled, you know, online, if you will. Um, there's a lot of use cases in this space. Uh, some of it is really, really cool. Some of it is, you know, uh, questionable. Um, I think a lot of governments are taking attention to it now just because of the valuation. The amount of money is going into that space is exploding. Uh, but in a very simple term, I mean, when, when, you, when you start to own more digital assets and cryptocurrencies, 
these applications are allowing you to do something with that digital asset so you can earn money or do something with it and these what these DeFi applications are trying to solve for and some of them are very unique and some of them are very um you know you got to be very careful of what you invest in but uh they're they're hot they're emerging uh, a lot of governments are taking attention to it and honestly in that space i would say probably there's no guidance at all from any country can you give me an example of you had said that there are you know some more common examples and then some can you give me an ex an example of of a of a defi yeah so maker and dow those are the biggest probably defi out there um it allows you basically to borrow and lend using your cryptocurrency and you earn basically a return on it right um so it's almost like you can you can make money off of your digital asset using this, this defi application Got it. So like, I mean, really kind of treating it like real money, right? Like it gives you the yep. opportunity to, yep. to start to really, yep. really make it play kind of at, at the same level of we think of dollars or whatever other foreign currency we might be, be dealing with. And what's driving right. this stuff to probably is the, you know, it's this whole COVID environment and the whole, you know, insecurities about what's going to happen to typical currency. So a lot of people ended up going and investing more into digital asset and cryptocurrency you see a lot of institutional investors go into that space in a big way you saw some major announcement recently a lot of companies are actually putting money into you know bitcoin as an investment and these applications are really the 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 next generation to what to do with this digital asset and cryptocurrency that you own got it so uh Again, I've been very focused on direct taxes. Um, you know, I, I understand that even from a, a, a state and local perspective, I, I think Rebecca had mentioned um, in the previous podcast, Wyoming is on the, the, the cutting edge of, of states in this area. But then we also need to think about other indirect taxes like value-added taxes, uh, for example, amongst others, and then stamp duties. What are you, any any trends that we're seeing? Is it still kind of just a patchwork of I'm guessing of of different countries? But any trends that you're seeing in the indirect tax base? Yeah, no, it's a great question, Doug. I mean, I think this is probably the um, the area where there could be a lot more work. Um, the VAT specifically guidance issued today in the EU is driven by one case around Bitcoin. And it basically makes the exchange of crypto or Bitcoin in this case, uh, non-taxable or exempt from that. Uh, but there's a lot of areas that that case and, and the tax policy around digital asset is not being addressed from an indirect tax perspective, especially the, 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 the back work that happens from an exchanges and the back office and everything else to the new emerging digital assets like utility token and security tokens and all of that. And all of these type of new digital assets have different element of taxation, whether it's property tax, whether it's stamp duty, whether it's, you know, depending on the characterization of the asset itself, depending on what's the asset is being used, I think you can apply all of these type of taxations and the guidance in these spaces, in this space specifically, has been very limited. 
All right. Well, we're 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 almost out of time here. Maybe as 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 a last question, what recommendations would you have for you know taxpayers and in, in fintech or you know even you know outside of of fintech that that are 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 looking to to get into this area for for a number of whether it might be investment or you know just a, as an alternative currency. What what recommendations do do you have for for those that are are, are looking at this space? Well, I mean, it's um, it's a tricky question. <laughs> um, I think my recommendation is to assume that there is some level of taxation um, or some sort of compliance that you have to do when you're dealing with digital asset broadly in general. So um, if you're touching this asset, just be mindful of a lot of different complexities around taxation that you should take into account. Um, and the enforcement uh, policies or the enforcement that the governments have been putting out uh, to, till, till today, it's been on the taxpayer themselves. So the guidance is limited. Um, in most cases, it's not authoritative and the compliance burden is on the taxpayer. So taxpayers really have to take this into account and make sure that they're following, you know, asking the right for the right advice and, and, and seeking the right counsel. Well, thank you. Um, Mazar, I, I really appreciate your time. I would highly recommend to to our listeners to, to check out the, the PwC report. Again, we'll include a link to that as well as the OECD report. Again, I don't spend a lot of time um, in this space practicing, but it, it's just, it's absolutely fascinating for me to, particularly just to see the development of, of international tax laws in, in such a, a new and, and emerging and emerging space. And plus as, as a techie, I, I'm fascinated by uh, blockchain and, and the underlying technology that really drives this this entire industry. So it's very fascinating. So thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Cross-Border Tax Talks. A special thanks to my guest, Mazar Wani, tax partner in PwC's San Francisco office and our U.S. fintech leader. I'm Doug McConey, PwC's international tax services leader. Stay tuned in two weeks for another exciting edition of Cross-Border Tax Talks.